0: Thank you. Thanks for having uh, me this morning. And I know that Chad is away, but uh, yeah, we do go a long way back. Uh, we've worked together probably in about three different locations. One uh, is in Calgary, uh, starting in about 1997. Then um, a story that I'm going to shortly tell you, I, I left full-time ministry at that point, not because of Chad. Uh, LAUGHTER <clears throat> And then uh, we met up again in Vancouver at Broadway Church for a few years and we commuted every single day from, uh, from Walnut Grove into Vancouver. Uh, and then I went to, we came, actually I came to Evangel Church first and Chad followed me there. So we've worked together in a few different venues and, and uh, like Ryan said, you know I'm so proud of what God has done you know, in the, at the house. Uh, I remember the start of it. I remember this bare room. I remember actually coming helping Chad string wires and lights. And uh, so I'm very excited to see what's happening here. great uh, great group here this morning. Uh, I want to start by sharing a little bit of a story, which happened to me in about 1998. And again, it was about a year after I met Chad. I was working at a church, and I'm really dating myself here. I'd already been in ministry for about eight years, like full-time ministry. I was doing at some point uh, as a youth pastor, and then I was a music uh, worship pastor at a church in Calgary. And... I had three, uh, you know, lovely wife, three young daughters. We had just purchased a brand new house in Calgary, one of those starter homes in North Calgary. And I, everything was fine. I, you know, the, the salary was decent. Uh, everybody in the family was healthy. And, and I started getting these inklings, you know, after being in ministry for about, eight, uh, full-time ministry, for about eight years. I started getting these inklings that there was going to be a change. And, you know, I started, you know, I Dismissed it at first and then I started praying about it. God, you know, what does this mean? I, it just keeps on coming up that there's a change coming. I, I really like my job. I'm quite happy at it. There's some parts, I mean, not every job that we do has—you know, is 100% great, but there were some, some parts of the job which I really liked. But one of the things that really uh, frustrated me about the role that I was in in ministry, I started to ask questions like, you know, God, am I nice to people because uh, I'm in full-time ministry, and I'm getting paid for it. Uh, you know, and I started, you know, going through this process of, is what I'm doing really authentic for you? And, you know, this whole thing went on for months and months, and I started asking God, you know, what's next? And I remember uh, in the summer, it was August 98, uh, I had sent my my wife and my kids to Kelowna. My uh, in-laws lived here at the time and they came, and they visited, and I sent them away for a week, and I wanted to do a week of prayer and fasting, just a week where I would just, you know, I would take time, and I would pray. I'd read the Bible. You know, maybe I grabbed a couple of books. I remember one of the books that meant a lot to me at that time was uh, uh, Henry Blackaby's Experiencing God, and, you know, the premise of that book is, you know, where God is going, that's where you want to go. Where God is already moving, that's where you want to move, and and I remember, by the end of that week, I just knew that I knew that I had to leave full-time ministry. Now, the strange thing was, uh, in the eyes of my in-laws, in the eyes of my parents, was, where are you going to go to? And I had nowhere to go. I, I was going to actually leave a well-paying job after i just purchased a house, after having three young kids who are, uh, some of them just started school, And I was going to take a step of faith. And I was going to, God, I know this is what you're calling me to do. And it's one of those things where it was, I knew that I knew that I knew that I knew. Um, My wife, Margaret, was very supportive. She understood. She saw me going through that process. And she trusted that what God was doing in my life was something that God was going to take us through. And he was going to look after us. So by by August of that year, I left full-time ministry. I stepped out, you know, it was a... A lot of people thought I was stupid for doing it. And, but I thought, okay, God, I'm doing this for you, so you're going to look after me. You know, I, I thought, okay, well, I've been doing some graphic design at the church. I, maybe I can get on with a, a publishing company or something like that. Um, I have a pretty good understanding in music. Maybe, you know, maybe I can substitute teach. I did that uh, a few years before that. I thought, God, you're going to look after me. It's not going to be a problem I, because I'm being obedient to you. I'm doing the right thing. Well, first week, you know, hand out resumes, nothing. Second week, first month, second month, third month, can't find work. I pick up these odd jobs, you know, just I'm starting to panic. God, what's what's going on? I have, I mean, the money's running out. I mean, the the church gave us a really great gift of money, but all of a sudden I started realizing, you know, how am I going to pay the mortgage? God, you're the one that asked me to do this. You're the one that asked me to step out in obedience. And I'm doing this for you, God. And I can't find work. Four months went by. Five months went by. And finally, I found a job through a friend as a part-time teller at a bank. Uh, You know, the end of the story is pretty amazing in how God brought us through that time. I, I I love to tell the story how God gave me this amazing capacity with numbers and working at a bank. And you know, by, by the end of the time that I was there for three years, I was, I was a branch administrator without really any training, but that was an all-a-god thing. But the story that I want to focus on today, and the, the part of the story, is during that time where I knew that I was being obedient to God, there was these things going on in my head. I was, you know one of the things that I was thinking of, one of the emotions that I was feeling is God. I deserve, I don't deserve this. You know, I'm doing what you called me to do. I'm being obedient to you. I don't, I don't, this isn't fair. Second emotion that I was feeling was, where are you? Don't you even care? You know, here, here I'm taking this giant step of faith and I have three young kids. I have a, I have mortgage payments. Where are you? I, it just, every time I pray, it just doesn't feel like you're even paying attention. The third thing that I experienced, it was one of those things where I've experienced it a few times since, but it's that feeling that, I know God can fix this, but will he? It's a very troubling feeling where you have that realization, yeah, I know God, I believe, I've read all the stories, I've actually seen some miracles myself, and I've actually seen people made whole and I know you can do all that stuff. I know you can fix this. But in my case, are you going to fix it? Do you even want to fix it in my case? And then the last thing that I experienced, the emotion was fear. It was like, what's going to happen? Am I going to lose the house? This is the stupidest thing I've ever done. God, you know. And there was just a lot of fear. And as I was preparing this message today, I was thinking... You know, a lot of times when we go through struggles, we have those four emotions or those four things that we think of. The first thing that we think of is, I don't deserve this. The second thing that we often think of is, you know, God, are you even watching? Are you even paying attention? The third thing that we experience is we think God's power is irrelevant in our particular situation. We know that he's powerful, that he can do all sorts of things, but is it really relevant? Does it really apply in my situation? And then the last thing that we experience is a fear, almost like a a complete helplessness. And today I want to look at a story in the book of Mark, which speaks to these four things. And there's four observations that I make in this story. And um, if you have your Bible, you can turn to it. It's in Mark 6. It'll also be on the screen. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Immediately after this, I'm starting in verse 45. uh, 45. Immediately after this, which was the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back to the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida while he sent the people home. After telling everyone goodbye, he went up to the hills by himself to pray. Late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on water. He intended to go past them. But when they saw him walking on water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him. But Jesus spoke to them at once, he said, don't be afraid. He said, take courage. I'm here. Then he, climbed out into the, then he climbed into the boat and the wind stopped and they were totally amazed, for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. Let's pray. Father, we pray that your word today would uh, speak to us through your Holy Spirit. Father, there's a lot of different People uh, represented in this room, a lot of different I- uh, issues represented in this room, and I pray that by Your Holy Spirit, You would identify those things that need to be heard, need to be listened to in our spiritual lives, uh, and increase our faith. We ask it, Amen. This story that we just read follows immediately the feeding of the five thousand. So just imagine here are the disciples who had front row seats to this experience, this amazing miracle where they take these five loaves of bread and Jesus divides them and feeds 5,000. He does the same thing with the fish as well. We all know the story and we've read it before. And we come to the end of that, that amazing experience and, and again, there's, there's other, um, this occurrence happens in some of the other gospels as well and, and in the other gospels they talk about when this happened, all these people who had witnesses, they wanted to make Jesus their king. Like now is the time, Jesus. You're gonna be, you're gonna rule us, and and we're gonna follow you. We're gonna overthrow the government. And Jesus says, No, it's not time. It's not time. As a matter of fact, I want you all to leave now, because I need to pray. This experience was amazing, but just go back to your homes. Uh, I need time. And he and he turns to the the, he turns to the disciples and he says, Okay, guys. Our next stop is Bethsaida. It's just across the lake. There, you guys go ahead without me. Just jump on a boat, and the, I'm sure the disciples were. A, How are you going to get there? But they listened. They were obedient. They got on the boat and they went out, and Jesus went to pray. So there's four observations that I make with this story. First observation: Jesus was the one who sent them into the storm. They are obedient, but Jesus sent them into the storm. Sometimes we face storms because of disobedience. Just think of the story of Jonah, where it's almost, it's almost like a mirror story. Here, Jonah, if you remember that, that story, God said to Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to tell the people uh, to repent because or destruction is going to come. And Jonah says, well, I'm not going to go to them. He was a little bit of a racist. And Jonah says, no, I'm going to go this way. So he jumped in a boat as well. But he jumped in a boat for a completely different reason than the disciples did. He jumped in the boat to go the other way out of complete disobedience. But we have the disciples in almost the same story. They jump into the boat because of their obedience to Christ. You see, sometimes we face storms because we are obedient as strange as that is to hear in our culture, because we think that if we're doing the right thing, if we're living right, if we're being obedient to God, everything should go right for us. We should be happy. We should be healthy. We should be financially secure. We should be uh, just physically secure. Everything should be smooth sailing as long as we're being obedient to Christ. But we find that's not the case in this story. We actually find But that's not the case in most of the lives of the disciples who actually became martyrs. Life became very difficult for them because of their obedience. Sometimes doing the right thing will lead us directly into a storm. The obedience of the disciples led to danger right into the storm that was threatening their lives. As we make this observation you know that Jesus sent them into the storm, there's, there's a great takeaway here, and I'm going to read from a commentator, and he writes this. This whole episode is a good illustration of the life of discipleship, seen as a constant experience of testing and deliverance. For it was, again, not through stubborn self-will, but through direct obedience that, to the command of Jesus that the disciples found themselves in this danger. The storm did not show that they had deviated from the path of God's will. Instead, God's path for them lay through the storm to the other shore of the lake. Imagine that. Imagine that even in our own lives, we can feel that we're being obedient to Christ. We're taking a step of faith. And that step of faith can actually lead us directly into a storm. We need to be aware of that. We need to... We need to understand that sometimes when God calls us to something, it's not going to always lead to a pathway that is peaceful and full of rest. Sometimes it's difficult. Second observation in this story. Jesus is watching the disciples struggle while they're oblivious. Let me read from verse 47. Late that night the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake and Jesus was alone on land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and waves. Our default mode sometimes when we're in the middle of a struggle is just to think that God, are you even paying attention? Do you even know the struggle that I'm going through? Do you even care? And this is such a, such a great picture. I, I love the thing I love about this story overall. It's, it's like that movie, remember, it's called Vantage Point, where there was, there was a shooting that took place in, in some sort of a courtyard. And, and throughout the movie, they replay that scene about six or seven times, all from different vantage points. And by the end of those six vantage points, we see the whole piece of the story come together. This story about you know, the, Jesus walking on the water in the storm has two vantage points. We see the vantage point of the disciples, and we see them struggling. You know, their default mode in the storm was to row. These guys are fishermen, most of them. And, and so their default mode was to, okay, let's get the boat positioned into the waves the right way so we're not going to tip, and let's just row harder, row into the waves. That was their default mode. They're probably thinking, Jesus, where are you? Like, can't you see that we're struggling, and yet we have the other vantage point, the other viewpoint where we see Jesus standing on the shore and he's watching? What a great picture for our lives. Sometimes when we are completely oblivious to the fact that Jesus is concerned about our plight, he's watching, he cares. He is all-seeing. He knows what we're going through. I remember during this, uh, you know, this season that I went through, I remember um, having just going out for coffee with one of the pastors that I was working with. And I remember at the end of a conversation, I was just expressing my frustration. And he turns to me and he goes, Marty, God hasn't forgotten about you. God hasn't forgotten about you. When we're in the middle of a struggle, we need to realize that God Hasn't forgotten about us. Observation three. The disciples didn't always see the significance of Jesus' power over nature. Verse 49 says this. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on water. He He intended to go past them, but when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were terrified when they saw him. So here's the picture of the disciples rowing all night, trying to fight this storm. About three o'clock in the morning, all of a sudden they see somebody walking on water. And, and there's almost this picture of Jesus being, you know, you know, total calm in the midst of this storm, and there's Jesus. And some of the translations say uh, Jesus actually walked by them you know perhaps this was how he was going to get to Bethsaida in the first place he was just going to walk across the lake but jesus made sure that he walked close enough to the boat that the disciples would see him now remember the context of this story is immediately after the feeding of five thousand, where jesus takes these five loaves and three fish and basically change alters nature (laughs) he multiplies the loaves multiplies the fish feeds 5,000. That's that's pretty serious stuff. Jesus is control of nature itself. And like that is amazing power. And here are these guys in the boat and and they even see Jesus walking past the boat and they don't make the connection between Jesus' power and the situation that they're in. We have you know some of us have seen miracles all of us have the bible we have the stories in the bible telling about god's you know god's creation and how he heals how he brings peace the holy spirit all this stuff we have access to all this stuff this power that we read about and a lot of times we don't make the connection between this power and our situation as a matter of fact the disciples start screaming in terror because they think it's a ghost I think we do this for a couple of reasons. Maybe we don't call on God's power for because we think our problems are too insignificant for God's great power. The only way I can describe this, I was in a car accident, uh, a pretty serious one in the mid-90s. I was driving from Red Deer to Sylvan Lake. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been out that way, but those highways are like, dead straight and wide, and you can drive really fast. Not that I was driving really fast. But I, I do know that I was probably maybe about 10 kilometres over the speed limit, which would have been 110, and there was an intersection coming up, and I was actually on my way to speak at a, a youth uh, weekend or something like that, and I, I was doing some music, so I had my amp in the back, I had a whole bunch of gear, I had a keyboard actually right behind my seat, and I saw this car out of the corner of my eye at a stop sign, And I thought, oh, good. She stopped. No problem. And then she starts driving. And cut out right in front of me. I literally hit her. I slammed on the brakes, and I was probably still going 90 kilometers an hour. Our front quarter panels hit each other. She went into one ditch. I crossed the highway, went into the ditch over there. And I I, I think her collar was Collarbone was broken, but that was the seriousness of it. But for me, I, had, I my heart was bruised, the doctors say, because I had this big bruised seatbelt thing, right? That was before uh, the airbags. And I, I remember sitting in that ditch, and I, I actually, I was out of it for a while, and then I kind of came to it, and all I heard was this choir music. And I'm thinking, am I in heaven? <laughs> it was like, it was honestly like, hallelujah, hallelujah. And then I... I kind of you know, realized where I was and I realized that I actually had a cassette tape over the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. <laughs> and the, the force of the accident had pushed the cassette into the deck and then it just started playing really loud, this <laughs> choir music. I thought I was in heaven. So finally the paramedics come and they, you know, actually I got out of the car and I was sitting on the side of the road. And when the paramedics came, you know, they said, no, no, just lay down, lay down. You know, I was kind of in shock and, and they, you know, put me in the stretcher, put one of those those things where my head was locked in and, and I was just laying on the side of the road in the stretcher and I had to get into the ambulance and... Um, and across the road was the, the firefighters, the first responders they were, you know, helping this lady, attending to her. And, and so the paramedics, you know, called, hey, guys, we need you over here. We need you over here. And so the firefighters came over and, and looked at the situation, saw my car, thought, oh, no, we need to help. So they, they actually grabbed the jaws of life and they come running across the road and start tearing apart my car, the back, uh, the back door of the car. Uh, you know, to get because there was instruments. The seats were all pushed up, and they start spreading. And the I don't know. The paramedics must not have been paying attention. I'm kind of looking, you know, at all this power. You know, this like you know, like jaws of life ripping apart my car and and opening. And I'm thinking, you know, I actually I think they just wanted you to lift me into the back of the the thing. <laughs> so there there's this disconnect between all this power that was going on over here. and you know, Well, you know, you guys go ahead and do that. I'm just going to sit here because mine, I guess I'm not as important as what's happening over there. You know, sometimes we get into these situations and these struggles and we know that God has all this power over here. But we, we don't think that our problem is all that significant, that we need to call on God, God, you know, help me out, bail me out. That's the first reason that I think that we don't call on God for his power. Secondly, maybe we don't, we don't call on God because we think his power is irrelevant in our case. I know you can help me, God, but will you help me? Don't you have, you know, the power that you have is so great, but, you know, my situation over here, yeah, you know, I really need your help, but I, I know you're busy with other things. Or your power is too great for my situation. We think God's power is maybe irrelevant. And maybe we have this messed up idea of who God is. That you know, if you take it in combination with the other stress that we have where we say, God, do you even care? Are you even watching? Maybe we think God is out there somewhere, but it's irrelevant to us. Or maybe we're like the disciples and we don't realize how powerful he really is. They just witnessed one of the greatest miracles they had ever seen. They had front row seats to the power of God on display through Jesus to solve a crisis. But in this crisis, there doesn't seem to be any inclination to pray or to call on God. They just went into default mode and instead of calling out to God, they just kept on rowing. Row harder. it 's interesting the, uh, when, you, when you look at the book of Jonah and the story of Jonah, we see Jonah in the boat again there 's so many similarities between this this story and Jonah is is in the ship on this cargo ship, basically that he hitches a ride on and he goes down into one of the lower holds and falls asleep and, and a storm comes up and and all the guys on on like the crew they 're rowing just like the disciples keep on rowing they start taking Things and crates and throwing it overboard to lighten the load, and and finally Jonah kind of wakes up and he comes. Actually, they wake him up. He says, "Can't you help us? Can't you do something? Aren't you a man of God?" And and Jonah actually says, realizes what's going on, and he says, "I know what's going on here. This storm is because of me. Just throw me overboard, and, and the seas will calm. I'm the problem here. Uh, it, it's God, you know, because I'm a man of God and I've rebelled against God. I'm the reason why." And so what do the men on the crew do? Maybe they give them a a moment's look and then they start throwing more things overboard and rowing even harder, it says. They didn't have that connection between Jonah being the answer. They just kept on going to default mode. Let's throw more things over. And finally, when Jonah jumped over himself or when they threw him over, uh, the seas calmed. It's a lot of parallels in that story. In spite of our knowledge and what God can do, do you revert to default mode to respond to problems that come? When you're overwhelmed at work, is your default to work harder and longer hours? When you don't have the answers to a problem, is your default to read a self-help book? Oh, that, that'll get me out of this. When you're under constant stress, is your default to escape through more activity like going away somewhere for the weekend, binge-watching a Netflix series, or overeating or drinking. We have a power at our disposal through Jesus Christ. We have access through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. We can call out to God. The problems that we're facing over here, even, even if it's initiated by God, the problems and the struggles that we face, God wants to intervene. Sometimes we forget about that. We just go through our struggles. We come to church, go home, go through our struggles, come to church, go through our struggles. This leads to our last observation. Jesus removed their fear by calming the storm. Jesus creates his own pathway in the middle of the storm. It's, He says, don't be afraid, take courage. I I love the picture of it. So all the way through this story, we see the disciples' vantage point where there's panic, they're rowing harder, they're trying to make it on their own, we're gonna get back to shore, we're gonna... And we see Jesus' vantage point where, A, he's standing on shore, he's watching, he's totally aware of what's going on. And then he walks on water, tries to get their attention. This in itself is a, a miracle, and then they still don't call out to him. And what does Jesus do? By his mercy, he walks over, gets in the boat, and the seas are calmed. That's what I love about this story. You know, a lot of times we, we elevate people that are, you know, great prayers, and, and it's so important that, that we have people in our lives that help us going through these crises, pray for us, and, you know, to help us out, or, or that can talk to us. But when we go through struggles, it becomes all about us. Or there's a tendency for it to become all about us. When all God wants us to do is to call on him. But even if we don't call on him, God shows us his mercy. You know, by the end of that five-month period where I was feeling pretty dejected, even in my relationship with God, I was like, are my prayers futile? And God threw me a bone. (laughs) By his mercy. he said, Marty, don't be afraid. I, I've got this covered. It's, it's almost that the, a couple of months ago we moved into a new place and I've, I've learned that moving is not something I ever want to do again. Because every time you move, there's just chaos is all around. You know, you pack up the boxes, you throw them into a... You place them in the truck. Sorry, Margaret. Uh, and then you empty them out in your new place, and there's boxes everywhere, because you know, you're, trying to, you're trying to get these boxes into the right rooms, but you have low-capacity people that are helping you sometimes, and they don't always get to where they need to go. I do appreciate the help that I get. But in the evening of that move, you're so tired. And one thing I've realized about moving into a new place, like if, until you get rid of those boxes, you're always in that state of, Ugh, I hate this. And I've learned that you need to take one room, just one room, kind of a common room, and make it clean. Just like move stuff around, get all the boxes out of there, put them somewhere else so that that one room, you can actually go at the end of the day, sit down, it's like... At least it gives you the illusion that you're finished. And I can I can picture this with the disciples. Jesus walks, steps onto the boat, sees our calm, all of a sudden there's this like. And I and I love that image of you know Jesus coming by his mercy into our storms, in our struggles, where even though maybe you know he wants to teach us, but we're not always learning. He comes in and he steps into our boat and the seas are calm. It's like, he says, don't be afraid. I love this story. There's a, and I'm going to close with this psalm. I'm going to ask the band to come up. The writer of Psalm 77 gives us a great example. And, And a lot of the psalms, and I don't know how much teaching you've had on psalms, but a lot of the psalms are uh, remembering what God has brought the people of Israel through. You know, back in the day, you know, God always said to the people of Israel, remember what I've done, what, remember what I've brought you through. And this is one of those psalms where it talks about you know, when the Israelites were delivered from Egypt, they you know, had their own struggles, they went through the storm, They're, all sorts of things they went through and, and God delivered. Listen how this shapes up. I cried out to God, yes, I shout. Oh, that God would listen to me. When I was in deep trouble, I searched for the Lord. All night long, I prayed with hands lifted toward heaven, but my soul was not comforted. I think of God, and I moan. Overwhelmed with longing for his help, you don't let me sleep. I'm too distressed to even pray. And then verse 10, And I said, this is my fate. The Most High has turned his hand against me. You know, that feeling that is even watching. But then I recall all that you have done, O Lord. I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. They are constantly in my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works. Verse 16, when the Red Sea saw you, O God, its waters looked and trembled. The sea quaked in its very depths. The clouds poured down rain. The thunder rumbled in the sky. Keyword, your arrows of lightning flashed your thunder roared from the whirlwind. The lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. And the imagery here is not that, you know, the storms like the thunder and the lightning are something that happens to us. But the imagery here is that it's all God's. It's your thunder, God. It's your lightning. Sometimes we try to you know, say that all the bad things, all the stressful things that happen to us are out there and it's the devil's fault. A lot of times the enemy does put th- bring things into our lives, but sometimes God allows us to experience discomfort. And this psalm here says, It's your thunder, God, it's your lightning. You brought us through this and you, you directed us into this, and, and now we have all this. His sea, his rain, his thunder, his lightning, his shaking earth. And then, verse 19, my favorite verse in this whole chapter. Your road led through the seas, your pathway through the mighty waters, a pathway that no one knew was there. Isn't that a fantastic thought? the struggles that we go through when we isolate ourselves from others, when we isolate ourselves from from God even at times. Because we think it's impossible. God, how can I get through this? The disciples thinking, how are we going to get through this? You thinking, how am I going to get through this? Me thinking after five months, how am I going to get through this? I just don't see a way out. But God, you created a pathway no one knew was there. Maybe this morning you're going through one of those struggles. And you're kind of at that point in your life where you're saying, God, I don't understand what I'm going through. Whether it was inflicted by something, maybe disobedience, or whether it was Inflicted, or you are brought to this place because it was an act of obedience. Maybe you're going through a struggle today and you, and you just, you don't understand. You don't know how it's going to end. I want this to be your verse today. Your road led through the sea. Your pathway through the mighty waters. A pathway that no one knew was there by his mercy by his grace he's going to lead you through this I want to just close by just giving you these four reminders what is Jesus' story about today we're reminded that he allows discomfort at times secondly he is watching he hasn't forgotten about you thirdly, his power is relevant and we don't need to be afraid. How do I know this? Because Jesus himself is the perfect example of these things. Just look back at that list. He allows discomfort. Jesus Christ being completely obedient to God, sinless. Is praying in the garden, God, take this away from me what I'm about to endure. Take it away. Let this uh, cup pass from me. And to, secondly, Jesus experienced what it felt like to be abandoned, hanging on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knows what you're going through. And of course, hanging on the cross, and the soldier looks up at Jesus and he says, if you're the son of God, why don't you come down off that cross that power was out there and Jesus could have been delivered he could have stepped off that cross but he he understands when that power isn't there I bet you he was tempted Jesus knows what you're going through he's lived it Father We pray today that this word will sink into our hearts deeply by your Holy Spirit. Father, we just pray that today, if there's anybody in this place who is going through struggles, trials, maybe even initiated by thinking that they were being obedient to you, Lord, I pray that you would uh, not allow them to lose faith, lose hope. Help them to know, first of all, that you are watching. Help them to know that your power is relevant for their lives. And help them to know that your grace is sufficient for them. Help them not to forget to call out to you. And not live isolated from what you want to do in their lives. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.